This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Hello and welcome to uh, another episode. I think it's episode seven. Although I got this wrong last week on the... My other podcast where I jumped ahead. No, it is episode seven because I said episode seven last week. It is episode seven and it is 15 minutes of football and not the other one that I do. I do quite a few podcasts these days. Uh, busy, busy. Man of many uh, talents. Man of many talents. Uh, some are Master about of football. None. Yeah, some are about football, some are about politics, some are about how to get debt free. So, uh, <laughs> well, that one's coming soon and I'll be sure to leave an advertisement in that at the start of this. So That, one, that one's... Targeted mainly at Barcelona, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Barcelona are are in a, are in a difficult situation as far as that's concerned. Um, yeah, good, good link and good link to fifteen minutes of football podcast designed to discuss footballing topics in approximately fifteen minutes. Sometimes that goes over. Sometimes that's slightly less. Um, but usually it's not worth uh, cutting into. We are discussing, uh, going back to the Manchester, Manchester feeling uh, this week, because we haven't discussed Manchester clubs in much detail for a bit. The rivalry between Dean Henderson and David De Gea. Then we're going to look at Manchester City, cruising the league, could possibly do the quadruple. But where do they go from here in terms of recruitment? Then to the other side of the uh, table, we'll have a look at Crystal Palace in terms of a club analysis. We've got also... uh, analysis of the Bundesliga German football I haven't talked about that for quite a while Bayern still top but Leipzig very close behind Borussia Dortmund putting together a few good wins in recent weeks inside the, in the league and out of the league but they're still a bit off the pace as far as they are concerned anyway back to the start of all of that and look at uh, the two goalkeepers Dean Henderson David Hay and Manchester United really big competition between the two although David De Gea has had the lion's share of the minutes this season is that fair? Do you think that Dean Henderson should feel a bit hard done by that he's not had many opportunities? Or would you simply assess it as David De Gea has been the number one goalkeeper at a big club for a very long time and he's going to take some milestone? I mean, there's quite a lot to dissect there, isn't there? I think, for starters, it's no real surprise that De Gea has had the bulk of the minutes in the Premier League. I think that that's quite a fair decision from Oli and especially to give Henderson his minutes maybe in the Europa League or in the cup competitions. I think I think that is the right decision. Now, it's more looking forwards, I think, is to, we're, we're, we're almost at this stage where you have to choose between the two as to whether you're going to carry on with De Gea, who, as, as you've put written on our little notes, is on 350k a week, which is a substantial amount to pay anyone, let alone a goalkeeper. Uh, and then you can compare that to Dean Henderson, who's on 100k a week, maybe a little bit cheaper, and also maybe has a few more years in his locker. Uh, you can say, who's a better goalkeeper right now? I would still say De Gea. Then, yeah, I mean, it. it, it yeah, I think it's uh, De Gea's reputation was so high, particularly in the 17-18 season, where I think he was regarded by many as the best goalkeeper in world football. His reactions were incredible. He would, I mean, the expected goals that he stopped in that particular season was off the charts. He was, yeah. it was something close to seven or eight across. Yeah, the, no, across he, the, he was phenomenal, wasn't he, at that point? Yeah, he was, he was outstandingly good. He, it, I think probably the quickest, it was mainly down to the reflexes and the reactions. They were the quickest, I think, 
<laughs> across the board. And you people remember actually from that season, the Champions League against Sevilla, where Sevilla battered Manchester United today. I pulled off a, a number of good saves, including a phenomenal reaction save at one point in that game. And that game in particular, that save in particular, was symptomatic of a ridiculous season, a ridiculous level of of performance that he managed to keep up. Um, It's worth noting that that was under Jose Mourinho, a manager who had set up Manchester United in that season to be compact defensively, to get bodies behind the ball, to minimise the risk on shots generally, uh, which meant that not quite often Manchester United would, would face a lot of shots but the opponents maybe weren't in prime positions to score all the time. So that can make a goalkeeper increase his save statistics, look yeah, slightly no, better you, than you maybe he is. You can't really compare a goalkeeper under one manager to another, can you? And it's similar to comparing goalkeepers at one club to another, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But again, that, that season really, and it was an accumulation because when De Gea first came to Manchester United, he started slowly. He slowly got his confidence up and. With the year on year, he built and built and built. And that 17 18 season was really the top of the mountain. He'd been building a long way to get to that point. And that was almost the reward season because he'd built a very strong portfolio for himself under Louis van Gaal and then under Jose Mourinho in his first season. And then 17 18 was this is where I've come. I'm at the top of the mountain. And since then, he's fallen that, down the mountain a little bit. Yeah. Well, it was um, a reward, wasn't he, really, with, with this contract? For well, being it was such odd. a mainstay in the team. It was. Um, he was, yeah. But it was odd, wasn't it? Because he wasn't rewarded in the 17-18 season. No, well, just that after is his, true, yeah. In fact, he was rewarded on the back of over a year of indifferent form. In fact, that's probably a kind word. His form had regressed quite heavily um, after the 17-18 season and particularly in the 19-20 season he was well I mean under in Mourinho's final season in Solskjaer's half a season he was certainly down massively on the season before and then 19-20 I don't think he really he really got the confidence of of his following back really because again even, you know, the mistakes never really left. There was always a, a, a mistake in there, too often. No, there was, yeah. And There was some was... clamours for Romero to start ahead of him, actually, at one point, wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, uh, Romero wasn't a bad goalkeeper by any stretch of the imagination, but it was quite a fall from grace. And I think at the time, look, De Gea wasn't making a mistake every single week, but it was enough to make you think, there's a problem. And that's yeah. why it was baffling for me when he did get his contract extension of three hundred and fifty thousand pounds. I was thinking, well, I've said to you, I've said to you this before. I actually I think said I it remember before. I was discussing this on a podcast in the past, actually, about this exact thing. And, and we I, both at the time said we questioned it, didn't we? No, no, no. I, I, I actually funny because I remember this. We were on student radio discussing this, and I remember, I remember this because I thought about this when I was doing the the conversation, and I said. I wouldn't have done that. I would have given the number one position to Romero or looked for another alternative because you're making, you're rewarding someone who's not been at that level for a long time with a bumper contract. It makes it difficult to get off the books. And I hate to quote Nigel Farage at the European Parliament when Brexit <laughs> happened. I see, no, 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 no. But I seem to also remember saying that you, you, I think you were suggesting 
by going out and buying Peter, uh, Peter Schmeichel, that'd be a different one. Casper yeah. Schmeichel. Uh, I do. Uh, to be honest, cost a fortune. No, and then no, no, no. He's a good keeper. He would have cost a fortune. No, no, no. And you said you know at the time. I... At the time, the wages that they spent on De Gea, uh, maybe were subsidised by the fact that they wouldn't have to buy a new keeper. Yeah, and that was yeah. part of the reason they did spend all that money. Well, actually, first of all, I said I would have promoted Romero, and then you said Romero wasn't good enough. To which that you then said. Can you give me any name? And at the top of my head, I did think Kasper Schmeichel is a phenomenally good goalkeeper. And I thought Kasper Schmeichel because I think he, he marshals his defence very well. He's a, quite a good distributor, I think. And he's a very, very good shot stopper. And to be honest, if you said to Manchester United fans right now, would they have gone for that route? Granted, if he wasn't too much money, might I have. Um, if, would they have gone for a Kasper Schmeichel on lower wages or David De Gea with tied up as the highest earner I think they might have sided with me but I'm not used to um, falling on the uh, on the right side of history um, that usually <laughs> happens with my opinions but what I think uh, but you know digress digress long story short was to give someone that that level of a wage and I, it's, I thought this I mean you know Aubameyang's starting to play better now but I did honestly think when Aubameyang signed the three the, the, the extravagant deal roughly about the same as what David De Gea's on at Arsenal. You're giving someone almost, when it's Aubameyang and he's 31, you give, it's a bit different with De Gea, who's a bit younger, but you're saying, this is an extravagant payday, more than you've ever been on ever uh, in your, in your career. Again. Yeah, exactly. So where do you go from there? Where does your enthusiasm go? I'm not saying you're deliberately just down tools, but you've just earned your bumper contract by... Busting a gut week in, week out, performing week in, week out. Somewhere, no, definitely. I, somewhere psychologically, it drops 10, 20%. It's going to. And it's, I'll tell you what the hardest decision is in that situation, particularly with the Bamiyang, is to say, is to think like that and say, well, that could leave us in a bit of trouble. The, that's the hardest decision. The easiest decision is to appease the fans who won't think like that. They'll think we're losing our best player. No, that is true. Yeah, I agree with that. Exactly. Yeah. I, I do think that. Well, I agree that it is for, obviously his form dropped, but his motivation dropped. I think that bringing Henderson in this season, well, bringing him back to the club this season, I think that has boosted De Gea's uh, yeah. motivation because uh, it's someone to compete with, isn't it? And, uh, and to be fair, De Gea, De Gea, it wasn't thir- he's just he's just turned thirty now, so he wasn't thirty when he signed the contract, and he's a goalkeeper, so he's going to yeah. have longer to play. Um, I was talking more about someone like Aubameyang or William, you know, just looking at Arsenal's briefly there, giving a, <laughs> giving such a, a pay rise to to older players is always very dangerous. I think we'll probably touch on that in the in the next uh, topic with regards to some Man City targets. But I think with De Gea, it was partially, I don't know if I can say the motivation thing with De Gea because there's still a chance he gets another bumper payday after this one. Although... Oh, I don't know. Although it, it, there's still a chance, I do think I do think you can say that. Cha- well, with United, there's a chance. Yeah, I agree yeah. with that. I agree with. But, but I, th- I think, well, yeah, I think you were both sort of right in the sense that it was probably more than he expected. Probably, um, he probably thinks it's probably the most he'll ever earn, and he, he probably thinks he hasn't worked that hard to achieve it, given the recent form that he was in. And you're right with Henderson, I think, in that he's come in, uh, and I agree. I think. De Gea's performances this season have been up on the past two years, two seasons, by quite a bit. I can't yep. think of too many really poor 
howl you know the howlers goalkeeper howlers yeah I could count quite a few from the past two seasons but this season I can think of moments where you think I he was possibly at fault there should have shown a bit more commitment there but it's different isn't it to the howlers that we saw over the two years it's more uh, before it's more oh well you know he's the highest earner he should be doing better there if a world-class yeah. goalkeeper's doing a yeah. bit better there so it is an improvement on on the on the poor no, performance he, he has definitely improved before. and the one issue I think for United is, although that has improved De Gea, has that cost them maybe and cost Henderson maybe a little bit of his ability and a bit of his motivation? Because if you're constantly sat on the bench, that can't be good for you. You need to be playing. Well, the point is really with Henderson, and I'm going to use a sort of Burnley analogy here. When Burnley had, and it's very different, of course, but when Burnley had three goalkeepers who were England internationals in Nick Pope, Joe Hart and um, Tom, Heaton. Tom Heaton, yeah. There was a clear, massive difference. There was a massive difference that each had on the team. When Joe Hart was in goal, he was very good at saving shots, a good shot stopper. Joe Hart is, has been a notoriously good shot stopper over time, but he didn't command his defence very well. He didn't yeah. marshal his defence very well, and he didn't come out to claim crosses. So it put a lot of pressure on the defence. James Tarkovsky and Ben Mee, probably that's the worst they've looked as a partnership uh, throughout their time as a partnership at Burnley Football Club. They were ran ragged. They looked all all at sea at times. And, and Joe Hart was actually playing quite well individually. But the yeah. two in front of him were all at sea. They looked lost and they, they were having really poor seasons. Tom Heaton came in. And Tom Heaton, he doesn't necessarily come out to command his box because he's not the tallest of goalkeepers. But he marshals his defence well. He shouts people. He communicates people a lot, yeah. doesn't he? He barking orders all the time. Uh, really vocal from the back. So it's, you know... Push, telling Tarkovsky to, to push up a bit, telling Tarkovsky to move to the side a bit, telling Ben Mee to go uh, to mark a certain player in the box, making sure that they're all the organisation in front of him is all very good. And then Burnley's results improved dramatically. Defensively, Tarkovsky and me looked like they had a bit more of a purpose and a know-how in what they were doing, and it looked yeah. a lot more assured. And then you go to Nick Pope, and Nick Pope, Literally, he goes the next level. He just does it. He takes it all into his own hands. He's huge. He's not. Yeah, he's not someone that's going to barcode is like no. Tom Heaton but he's someone that exudes confidence and that confidence breeds confidence and it, it really rubs off on the other players doesn't it well yeah because unlike Tom Heaton Nick Pope's very very big in body frame he comes out and takes matters into his own hands so yeah. if there's balls into the box he will take the pressure off his defence and the defence know that he's behind and he will do that so again you've got that confidence in that Tom Heaton's the vocal, the vocal marshaller. Nick Pope's the I'll take it into my own hands marshaller. But then Joe Hart, good shot stopper, made the defence in front of him not look too good. And that's the argument you have with Henderson, is that Henderson's, I think, is a mix actually between maybe Pope and and Heaton. I don't think he's quite as good at coming out as, as no, Pope. He's is, not he's not on the same level at that. But, but I think he's, he's a bit he's better than Heaton. Isn't he? Yeah, he's a bit better than Heaton because I think he's a bit broader, a bit bigger. and But he does have Heaton's trait of shouting and calling and barking orders to his defence. And it'd be interesting to see what a lengthy spell in the team for Henderson would do to Maguire and Lindelof, who often look like they're running round like ragdolls. But if yeah. they had someone behind them to, to who, they, who would come out to claim the occasional cross, and bark orders at them to tell them when where to go and when to push, when to when to come inside, when to go out and, and go for a ball, basically to to dictate from behind, be a leader at the back, then we could see quite a quite a big turnaround in their individual performances. No, I, I completely agree. And I think that's something we need to see. We need to see Henderson giving a run, but because of De Gea's contract, it's almost impossible for them to do that and to to drop him for an extended period of time. 
I also think that I'd be a bit annoyed if I was Henderson because he's come back to Man United and by being on the bench so often, that's maybe cost him an England spot. Possibly, yeah. I, I, I think when it comes to United as well, you, you, you may, we keep mentioning the contract. It's much easier, as I note down in the notes, to, to sign Henderson or to sell Henderson, sorry, than it is to sell De Gea because when you're selling yeah. Henderson, you've got a uh, 23-year-old, lots of potential, big sell-on potential as well. So if he does well, you can probably sell him for a profit or you can at least make money on him if he, if he does well. He's only on a hundred thousand pound a week contract, roughly. So say it, only it, there. That's still quite a lot, isn't it? <laughs> it? It is, but when you compare it to three hundred and fifty, it's astronomically yeah. less. Um, and there's a lot more tip boxes to tick. These are two goalkeepers, really. You'd argue De Gea's the slightly better of the two at this moment in time. But all the financial uh, motivation a club would want is is with Henderson. There isn't really much financial motivation for De Gea yeah. apart from possibility of brand. Because I think every most most football people who are not necessarily the most avid interested of football fans kind of know who David De Gea is because of the United brand, because of the connection. He used to be the best in the world. But possibility, I suppose, Jordan, I'll pose this. And I actually think I'd love to see Henderson get his opportunity at United. But if Henderson is sold to free up funds in a COVID pandemic world where funds are are lessened uh, significantly at every club, if Henderson is sold because they can raise quite a decent amount for him, De Gea's then you know, back to to be the to be the outright number one, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because he's not a bad goalkeeper, but uh, there are obvious flaws there. Then United maybe use the money from Henderson and other money to sign someone like Akunde, who is a very 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 good defender, quite the opposite of Maguire and Lindelof in that he's very quick, uh, sharp on the ball, good leap. Yeah. Um, is that a way to go? Is that where they will go? Is that it, it, does it make more financial sense to That's- say? The easier way, way to go, as yeah. you've alluded to, isn't it? Because you can you, you can gain more capital from selling Henderson than you can from De Gea. Because if they did sell De Gea, I think they'd probably have to buy out his contract to some extent, at least, or, yeah. or be paying his wages still. Yeah. So that's that's certainly the easier way. But I think long term for Man United, I think they need to keep hold of Henderson, and I think they need to start getting him in the team. Mm. Yeah, I mean that that's. Again, on a footballing perspective, I do think it would be nice to see Henderson this year. And then, yeah, I, I do I do think... I mean, the only club I can see possibly De Gea going to, for me, is PSG, because... That, was the, like that a, was the only name that I re- can really think of that would be a possibility. I mean, Henderson's been linked Henderson. to Tottenham, Borussia Dortmund, yeah. and probably have another lot of suitors across Europe as well. Um, so it, it, it is very... Interesting, but when you, as I say, when you put yourself in that position where you make a, such a financial commitment on weekly wages, you sort of make your bed and you lie in it, don't you? Or you rip yeah. everything up and it just leaves to a another unnecessary situation. I mean, it would have exactly. been the end of the and world to, to have De, uh, De Gea. A lot of people have killed to have David De Gea as the number one, really, because oh, absolutely, yeah, he's an exceptional but, keeper. Well, anyway, so just following on from the the massive contract, we should go over to Man City, and our question posed to ourselves this week is what was Man City's transfer policy look like in the coming summer? Yeah. Um, what do you think? It's very difficult because when you're when you're so high at the top and riding it, you know, riding this momentous wave that doesn't look like ending, you are you are really it, it seems very difficult to say, oh, where's the weaknesses? And there are a few weaknesses. Yeah. Um, there absolutely are, yeah. And probably touched on that in a second. But when it comes to 
Hollywood signings, they've been linked with Lionel Messi, they've been linked with Erling Haaland as well. I think Manchester City, for all the money that they do spend, they are a very well-run club financially. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They've never made any huge signings, have they? I think the record is still about £60 One caveat to that is they've not actually made any huge sales either. So when you look at Liverpool, who sold Philippe Coutinho to fund Van Dijk and Alisson, you've got, um, you know, where's Manchester City's um, big sale to do that? They haven't needed to. So there is a bit of a... Uh, you can see why some teams find that a bit frustrating to a point, but at the same time, you can't say that they've necessarily um, broken the transfer market because they the record signing sixty two million pounds, I think, for Rodri, and there's a few around that um, that same figure as well, a few around the sixty million pound mark, and they are well run from that point of view. They don't like to break wage structures, they don't like to. Uh, sp- smash transfer records or anything like that. They kind of go about the business in an understated manner. And from the blockbuster signing point of view, before we get on to any, any potential weaknesses they might have to look at, they've been linked with Lionel Messi. They've been linked with Erling Haaland. And while obviously Haaland would be a brilliant signing, I think, for anybody at this moment in time, and Lionel Messi is, you can't really, you wouldn't turn down Lionel Messi, who's been no. the best, for the best two players the best, in the world, so. or the best for the past 10 years, or, or, and more and more I add to that he is someone with Messi that threatens I feel and I know this is very boring and many people will will disagree with me but threatens to rip apart a very balanced and carefully put together wage structure which has low base salaries for a lot of key key performers at Manchester City and almost and it reward, carefully rewards incentives like clean sheets goals and whatnot with weekly bonuses and then players, you genuinely, generally feel, or you genuinely feel, sorry, that players are working towards financial gain and financial betterment. Uh, whereas at United, across the road at Manchester United, for example, it just seems to be given willy nilly, you, you know, regardless yeah. of what the players done. So there's a much better structure in place, isn't there, at Manchester City? There is. And what I would say is with someone like Lionel Messi, who's on astronomical wage at Barcelona, many, some people at Barcelona even said he's draining the club of their wealth. Uh, which is, you know, I mean, he is Barcelona, so I guess that's that's almost fair game in many ways. But yeah, he is, but to come to Manchester, it is he's the best player in the world, but it is a clean slate, and he has he's done nothing for Manchester City. He's done everything for Barcelona, but he's done nothing for Manchester City. So to come in, be the high earner, be the biggest earner at the football club, it worries me because all it takes is an injury, you know. And he's out for maybe three, four, five months. And then you just think, oh, okay. So that was a bit of a mistake on that part. And even if he does get, if he's on more than Kevin De Bruyne, then you should, you know, maybe something like 400,000 a week, uh, you know, his, his wages at Barcelona are astronomical to a point. But let's suppose he's on 400,000 with Kevin De Bruyne's 350,000 base salary. Then what does that, what do you want from that? What what do you expect from that? Well, surely something along the lines of the figures he put, he's put up for Barcelona, 20 plus goals, 15 plus assists, something along those lines. There and is an element of risk, isn't there? I think that's the point you're kind of trying to get across. Essentially. But- and what I would say is, why do that risk when you're already in such a perfect position at this moment in time? No, I, I absolutely agree. But I think the, the, the one thing Man, the Man, Man City want is to win the Champions League. And I think that if they got, got in Messi, I think that would be enough. I think that would push them over the edge, especially to, to get him reunited with Pep Guardiola. I think 
the the romance of it is is just almost too much. I, I just love the idea of it and being able to see Messi playing in the Prem week in week out. I, I just think it's it would be amazing to see. But I do agree that it is would be a massive risk. I think if I were City and they were to go ahead with it, I'd want him on a, a one year contract to, to yeah. try and eliminate the risk and try and minimise the risk. Would he agree to that? I'm not sure. Well, I think PSG would I'd, be willing to offer probably better terms. Yeah, no, I probably agree with that. I, I also think that the the marketing side of it, he'd probably get a fortune from from Nike and Puma. I think that'd be a massive part of it as well. Yeah, no, I do. Yeah, I think obviously from a from a from a purist perspective, I don't think anyone wouldn't want to see certainly English fans. Uh, there wouldn't be anyone that wouldn't want to see Lionel Messi in the Premier League. It's uh, something that... Except maybe opposition goalies. Yes, except maybe opposition goalkeepers. Um, but it, it is one of those things. And, and another thing, I mean, I've been talking to you about this with with relation to other players that, don't, that do virtually nothing off the ball. Uh, and I've always said that Lionel Messi is a player that doesn't need to do anything off the ball. I don't, I don't think he does. He hasn't had to do anything off the ball really for 10 years because his talent is mesmeric and he, he just like Cristiano Ronaldo, you, you just you give him the ball in attacking areas and the magic generally has to come. Yeah. You can get away and with it. I'd say there's a very, very small group of players that can do that at a big club and get yeah. away with Messi, it. Messi, James Rodriguez. Yeah, exactly. Well, that was, the, <laughs> that, that was the point I was sort of making with that uh, about why maybe the big clubs weren't there for certain Hamas Rodriguez. But yeah, Messi, Ronaldo, sure. Neymar as well. Neymar. Um, sure. Also, also up there. But I think when you're at Manchester City now, you see off the ball, the press is brilliant. And, it, and there's a system in place that everyone works hard. Kevin De Bruyne works really hard. Uh, off the ball, tackles, tenacious, gets stuck in. And this is a midfielder that came into the number 10 and didn't do too much off the ball. And now he runs yeah. and chases down things and he's just part of the system. I mean, he, he, uh, Raheem someone, Sterling is yeah. running up and down all day long. He's getting back Bernardo Silva the same. It, yeah, All of them are working collectively, aren't they? And I see your point that Messi maybe wouldn't do that. But yeah, I think Pep Guardiola... He's, he's obviously he's managed Messi before to the yeah. highest level yeah. and Messi's never been one to, to run back and, and track back before has he really? No but the difference was then when Guardiola managed Lionel Messi he was lightning fast he was ridiculously fast he was in the he was so athletic um, you know people could catch up with him and he had, he was full of full of energy, full of life, full of athleticism. And now you're getting someone who's not not over the hill by any stretch of the imagination, but in his in his thirties, um, you know, the wrong side of 30, not as fast as he was. And I'm, I'm sure that's a fair, fair assessment. He's not yeah. as athletic as he was. He's still got ma- magic in the left foot. And he can still make some nifty turns because he's an exceptional football player, one of the best in the world still. But when we say when we used to say Messi and Ronaldo were the best two in the world, they were the best two in the world by a long shot, by a long way. Oh, they yeah. were just in a league of their own. And now I think the best they still are the best argue, arguments. Messi still the best in the world, but it's a lot closer to the rest. No, of the no, time. I agree absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in a word, do you think Messi will come to the Premier League? No, I think no, that um, I don't think so either. I no, I, th- so. I think I think PSG really because one, he's very good friends with Neymar. Two. 
it must be so tantalising to see Messi and Neymar in the same team again um, from many perspectives, from PSG's perspective, from Messi's own perspective, from Neymar's perspective. Yeah. And if they managed to get Messi and somehow kept Mbappe as well, that is an unbelievably yeah. sexy front three. <laughs> unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's maybe on par with Suarez at his best with Messi and Neymar in the past. Yeah. And also you can say with the PSG one as well, um, you, Messi wouldn't have to do the press in, in Liga and and also PSG are a club really where it's not necessarily built around this particular system where everyone has to contribute yep. it's almost get the ball to the front three himself some trophies as well Carney oh he can absolutely do that yeah <laughs> um, anyway but, yeah it's Man City as a whole not just Messi to Man City no yeah what positions do you think they need to be looking at in the summer um, well, we both agree on this, really. Actually, I mean, you tweeted. Yeah, I think we both do. Yeah, you tweeted left back um, in the game against West Ham, and it's weird because obviously uh, Zinchenko has been doing quite a good job actually filling in there again. I think he's played well this season more yeah. so than he has in the past. Yeah, I think improved. what you get with Zinchenko is someone who you cannot you can give the ball and you know he's gonna you're not gonna lose the ball much. He's he's yeah. a good option. He's a safe, steady competent option in that position so you give him the ball and he keeps the tempo going keeps the flow going keeps the ball moving and defensively he's all right I don't think he's anything to write home about but he's okay he gets back he gets up the pitch he's athletic and the difference between him and and Mendy who was signed for big money I think with Mendy you've got someone who I think is on on his days better than Zinchenko you know he's 100% 100%. 100 better um you know what we used to see for Monaco, what we saw early, early, early at the start of his City career. Someone who was, um, you know, so very a scary prospect actually for many opponents as the overlapping defender, quick, powerful. I know I'm using the the the, the generic uh, some generic <laughs> words there, but I do think it's legitimate. He would be, he was a freak of nature how he used to burst down the the, the flanks and also deliver a very very good ball on his left foot. Uh, that's something joined as well. Exactly, yeah, like I said. That. Not something you could say with Zinchenko, but the problem is, Mendy, you can still probably maybe see a bit of that, but it's all far too far, few and far between. You know, you've got your injury problems, you can't keep fit for too long. When he has been keeping fit, it's almost like he's conserving his energy a little bit because he's yeah. worried about fitness. And it, and it, you're not, and he's also prone to quite a few mistakes in games, whereas Zinchenko, you don't get that. And... He does slow sometimes the tempo of the play down, almost like he's overthinking stuff. So I think Mendy's should be and was signed. And, and the, the player we saw at the start of his city career, he is a better option than Zinchenko. But right now, you get six, seven out of tens every week from Zinchenko. With Mendy, it could be an eight, could be a four. You know, yeah. you, don't, you don't have no, that I consistency. And I think that's why back. we both think that left back is maybe the their biggest weakness in the squad as of right now. It's maybe well, yeah. not where they'll spend the most money, but I think that's the biggest weakness right now. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I sort of think Teo Hernandez from AC Milan would be an option yeah. if they can if they can uh, stretch to that because it will cost quite a bit of money. He's been pulling up trees in Serie A this season. Uh, very, very good offensive contributions for Milan. Um, you might not even get in the French French national team squad no, for the Dean's Euros. been starting, actually. In yeah, the and Lucas Hernandez also uh, is yeah. prone to starting as well. So, yeah, but that's a potential avenue. But yeah, it, again, it, you're right. It, it might not be somewhere where they need to feel feel necessary to to splash the cash somewhat, given how short of it no, the may I, or may not be. I, well, I think that 
the big signing is the other weakness in the squad. Uh, I think they need to go all out on a striker and I think that that striker needs to be one of the best strikers in the world. I'm looking at Erling Haaland, I'm looking at Romelu Lukaku. I think that, that I think that is the, the calibre of player they need to be looking at and someone that's going to mm. be at their peak for the next few years. I don't see Lukaku as a City player. I know the Athletics said that, it, that I don't see it myself. Haaland potentially yes as well the issue with Haaland is 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 the Raiola yeah and Guardiola despises Raiola uh he also with Raiola you get a player who you, you usually get quite um a sort of bad apple in the background for football clubs great for the player might I add uh in terms of getting them the best deals but can yep. be a bit uh bit bit painful in the background for clubs and a, a bad distraction you see that with Paul Pogba who doesn't really say much and it's Raiola stirring all of the pots at, at, at the uh at, at Manchester United and it causes a bit of it's unnecessary I think Raiola is also Lukaku's agent <laughs> yeah exactly so so again it, it makes it he is he is also Luke but but I think Lukaku actually sometimes I think I think they had a bit of an issue at one point. I think when he went moved to Inter, I think he sort of forced that himself a little bit. So yeah. maybe he he does he does take the initiative a little more in those situations. But yeah, I think I don't see the Lukaku one, regardless of his agent. And I'm not sure about Haaland because of his agent anyway. Yeah. Uh, but Haaland would be taken by anyone at the football club. And also with Haaland, if there's a big summer um, move, if, if there's a big clamour for him this summer, uh, as opposed to next summer when his release clause comes into play, you're probably looking at something like 80, 85, 90 million. And again, we'll look at City's I modest spend on that. Yeah, you I look, at, that. look at City's modest spend on, on, on strikers and you think... I mean, they might think, hmm, maybe we can be a bit more savvy with this one. I mean, look at it. Look at how the Edison, one of the best goalkeepers in the league, 35 million from Benfica. If they can be a bit savvy like that to an extent, then maybe they can yeah. find it, unearth a gem or some. I mean, Jao Felix would be fantastic, but you're looking at over 100 million, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, no, that would work. Jao that uh, Felix would be fantastic because he's, he's Don't say, in this... it. Don't say oh. what I think you're going to say. No, I'm not, Your actually. Name. No, I'm not. Uh, I do think that. I... I don't think it's even necessary that they actually sign a striker. If they if if the striker if they're held to ransom for a striker, they've proven that they don't need one already. And yeah, um, they can play. Know. Yeah, they can play anyone there, really, can't they? I yeah, mean, and Gabriel Jesus other, is always name, an option. You mentioned Benfica. Darwin Nunes has been apparently a very good signing for for Benfica this season, and he's another name that they they might look at. Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you've got to look outside of the proverbial um, mainstream box, and Manchester City have done really well doing that. And also, just to touch on it before we move on, Rodri as well uh, done really well in defensive midfield. Got Fernandinho as backup. Fernandinho won't be there next season. Might have to look at something there. Douglas Louise possible buyback clause. Not yep. too sure about the intricacies of that. I think he'd be quite obviously the understudy to Rodri, who's really come on a lot. I think. Oh um, yeah, definitely. He's a good player, though, Douglas Louise. Yeah, but he's it's a very very solid player, forty million. If that's actually true, the intricacies that are true, I think that could be a good swift um, move by them in the summer. We'll have to see. Anyway, topic three: club analysis, other end of the table. Uh, Crystal Palace. We tried to cover the teams that aren't necessarily going to be involved in a relegation dogfight. There's quite a lot that are. I think they're just outside of it. But with a, if yep, they formed, I would agree. I think just about, but it, you know that could change. I'm not 100 percent sure. The you know the club have had they've had a bit of a difficult time of it. They were largely outplayed against Fulham at the weekend. They've been they were absolutely battered by rivals Brighton and came away with a two yeah. victory um, not too long ago. 
And there has been this general feeling that this season will be Roy Hodgson's last season at the football club. And despite the fact that Hodgson's done a good job, he's solidified the ship, made them defensively resolute. Not even that has been apparent at all times this season when they've been getting pasted quite often in games where, yeah. you know, that's... I mean, what 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 you get with Hodgson is a bit of a compromise. You say, well, the football's not always great, but we don't lose 4, 5, 6, 7 nil very often. And they've lost quite a few games by heavy margins yeah, this have. season. So The Liverpool one stands yeah. out, doesn't it? So is the writing on the Wolf Hodgson then? I think he's got to go in some... I, I just... I think for not only... Because in the past, you've kind of said, well, he's playing boring football, but at least he's getting the results. He's keeping them up. And although we both think they'll stay up this season, the football's horrendous. The fans are hating it. And I, I just think that it's time to breathe new life into that football club. And I mean, it's, it's going to take a certain, a certain type of person to take over because that yeah. is not a steady ship to be taken on. Well, Alex Scott made a good point, I think, at the weekend. She said something along the lines of, yeah, well, it's okay saying there needs to be a rebuild, breathe fresh life into the into the squad. But you're also suffering probably a monetary loss for all clubs at the end of the season. Money's not what it was. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it's crippling football clubs in the lower leagues, uh, particularly the non-league. Um, and it's also having an effect on Premier League teams. Money's not going around as much as it used to go around. So is it really the time for a big revival or should they should they be putting it off maybe for another year and see, seeing and reassessing at that point? In other words, <laughs> is, 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 is the perspective giving him a one-year deal, a one-year extension just to see them over the line past the pandemic to its, you know, when we imagine it will all be, all be gone? Uh, well, I think it depends massively because, as you've said, that with COVID, it is such a big issue with finances, but that might mean that they sell Zaha. If they do sell Zaha, I can't see even Roy keeping them up next season. All right. Unless that is reinvested, obviously. Yeah. Um, so I, I, think they need to, I think they need to get rid of Roy. I think they need to bring in someone new. Yeah. Okay. So why is it, why, why, why is it, why is, why is it, why is it gone wrong for Roy? I mean, I think they've been very unlucky with injuries, actually, this season. Yeah. Particularly uh, the centre-backs. Yeah. It's been as bad as Liverpool, really. I think yeah. Mamadou Saku is he's a good player. I think he's a good centre-back. When it went back to the wall, I think he's one of the better centre-backs in the league, let alone just Palace. Gary Cahill's done well this season, but again, injury issues. Scott Dan, the, cap, the club captain, injury issues. I think that... That has massively affected them this season, uh, particularly defensively, and that's why we've maybe seen them shipping more goals than they have in the past. Yeah, I mean, Kuyate, very good midfielder, has been playing centre-back quite a lot of the time as well. Mm -hmm. um, it is. It, I, I, I think you're right, injuries have really affected uh, the plans for Hodgson this season. Uh, and you're right, defence... Defensively, it's been a minefield. Like you say, comparable to Liverpool's, really. Um, the amount of the amount of troubles that they've picked up in defensive areas. Um, and also maybe, I don't know, do you, do, you, do you maybe think, because I mean, if, if, if you attribute it to that, to a, for, the majority, for the majority of the reasoning, then surely you think that Hodgson needs to be given a bit longer to, to, to keep the ship steady? Or would you suggest that maybe, would you suggest that maybe, as well as the injuries, there's been a lack of enthusiasm from players who are now a little bit bored from the the organisational tactics that they've been playing for a number of years now? 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's definitely true. And I think that the fact that they're relying so heavily on Zaha as well is not, not going to be helping people's motivation, particularly when he's not playing. I mean, their record when Zaha's not playing is atrocious. Mm. I think in the last 22 games that uh, Zaha's not played, they've lost 18 times. That's, that's not good enough. No. No, no, it's not. I mean, they are heavily reliant on Zaha, and almost Hodgson's style of play means that you have to re- you have to be reliant on individual brilliance to a point. Organization, organization, organization. Get the ball to Zaha, see what happens, and then the organization prevents the other team from necessarily mustering up too it many has opportunities. Been, to be fair to Hodgson, it has been effective, though, hasn't it? It's yeah. kept them up, which is probably what they they need. And and remember so, the so state. He- Remember where he took over? Obviously, Frank De Boer, to be fair, I always feel sorry for Frank De Boer. He wasn't given very much time. He got four but, games. <laughs> yeah, uh, five, I think, in the Cup. Um, if you include the Cup game that I think they played. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but yeah lost, his four, lost his first four league games. They were bottom of the table. And to be honest, I, I, I thought he deserved more time, to be honest, given the state scale of the task he was given. But he took over a team that hadn't won in the league, forced defeats on the spin. Morale wasn't very high. Um, the passing football looked like it was going to take a while to get going, uh, the style of play that De Boer wanted. So Hodgson's took that over and he's turned it round and he's kept them steady in the in the league. So from that risk, from that perspective, he deserves credit, I suppose, for making sure yeah. that the defence is solid and secure and that they have a base to build upon with the likes of Zaha. Well, with the likes of, with Zaha uh, yeah. in, in attacking areas. No, I, I think he, he has done a good job. I think it's very fair to say that he's done a good job, but it's just maybe that time. He, he should be retired anyway. He's getting on a bit now. He, he, he can is, go he and is. chill on a beach, have some pina yeah. coladas and watch someone else take over the mantle, I think. I think that's the best thing. Yeah, I mean, they've had a lot of... You, you've, you've touched on injuries. They've got a lot of injuries. They've also got a lot of people out of contract uh, yeah. this summer. A, a ridiculous amount, actually. Um, yeah. So, Saka out of contract. Townsend, Benteke, Van Arnholt. Uh, James McCarthy, Nathaniel Klein, uh, Joel Ward, Scott Dan, Gary Cahill, Wayne Hennessy, Connor Wickham, um, uh, Tarek Mitchell hasn't actually officially signed, but he's believed to have signed. Yeah, uh, he believes he to have been done. Yeah. Uh, Nathan Ferguson as well. Mateta, uh, good signing, good back heel as well against uh, yeah, against Brighton. Um, I, I jumped the gun there a bit. Um but that that was a flicker of positivity actually towards the end with Mateta. But we were sticking <laughs> on the neck. Don't know where I, I jumped the gun far too quickly there. Just to go back to those out of contract, a very lot, a lot um, of players. Yeah, not quite and, like that many, but yeah, I think. Well, the, you you mentioned through that list there. It's not just kind of your your squad players. That starters there. I mean, yeah. both Sacco and Kale. That's probably the first choice defense straight away. Gone. And I think yeah. that that is su- such a bad thing for a club, not just. In, in the year if they do go but for this season I think that motivation will drop through that right. I think right. we've seen Van Arnold drop partly because his contract's going down as well yeah uh, I mean I like James McCarthy as well he's a workman like pro in the middle of the football yeah. field uh, very good oh, he, had, uh, he had his best years at Everton I yeah. used to like James McCarthy. I, I like McCarthy. I mean, you've got a lot of uh, experience there as well. And many people will say, I suppose, that it's a good opportunity to, to do that out with the old and in with the new. But it's quite easy to say, oh, we don't want you, we don't want you, we don't want you, we don't want you. Ah, fresh. It's, it's another thing then getting in all the replacements and saying, you know, uh, oh, now we've got a squad worthy to compete. Because if they got rid yeah. of, uh, you know, if they didn't agree contracts for a lot of those, they're leaving quite a few holes in the squad. And if they don't fill those holes, this summer, then they're in trouble and I don't care who the manager is. 
yeah, no, I completely agree. Mm. Completely agree. And we've kind of alluded to it as well. If Zaha does go on top of that, because I think he probably wants to, he's at that age now where it's now or never, then serious, serious problems at Palace. Yeah, I mean, it, to be honest, it's... Oh, you didn't get that. Um, <laughs> so, no, it's one of those really where... Yeah, I mean, I, I look at it and many people say, oh, replace Roy Hodgson with a progressive coach like Eddie Howe or someone like this. That's fine. But I do also look at it and think there's a lot of players who play in that squad who I wouldn't feel confident in a in a team that passes out from the back. So Absolutely maybe the, not, no. So the goalkeepers, I mean, uh, Vincente Guaita, good shot stopper, very good shot stopper, actually. Terrible with his mm-hmm. feet. Wouldn't, wouldn't feel confident with him passing it out from the back. Uh, Tarek Mitchell, you know, really young prospect, good defender, left back. Not great with his feet, just a really no. good, good defender. Good defender. Um, yeah. Uh, Scott Dan, nope, not confident with, with the ball play. Mamadou Gary... Saku looks like a, a Bambi on ice when he's yep. asked to play Ke- out. Cahill, no. Um, Joel Ward, Klein, maybe a bit Klein, but not really. Um, the midfielders, uh, I quite like Ryan Okay, yeah. Um, Townsend, yeah, not too bad. I think the problem is really I'm, I'm looking how they're getting the ball to the midfielders, and if you want to play out from the back, that that's going to concede a lot of goals unless you do something there. You need a specific. Mm-hmm. I say you need a specific goalkeeper. Most goalkeepers now are quite good with the feet. It just happens to be that Crystal Palace aren't. So yeah. again, you just need someone that 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 can confidently they were, distribute the They ball. were linked to Sean Dyche actually last summer, weren't they? I can't see that happening now because no. I, don't think, I think Dyche is maybe too clever to, to take on that job. I mean, to be honest, because... that would actually not be a bad appointment because I think no, Dyche I is think that would be an excellent appointment slightly no, less yeah. negative than Roy Hodgson in that he's, he's tried to play in a bit more of a playing through the lines kind of way at Burnley from time to time depending on the match. It's not always... Yeah. 18% possession, deep block, long ball. It is a bit more, there is a bit more to his to his bow than that. But at the same time, he's not a manager like Eddie Howe who's just going to play it out from the back all the time. So you've got a co- co- sort of compromise there. I think it is interesting that there will be people, there is a clamber. I know some, I've seen it on, on social media, some Crystal Palace fans saying, oh, we'd be so much better under Howe, this, this and this. I, ge- I genuinely think if, you know, if, if the, there is a possibility that if that happened, it could be relegation straight away because yeah. you need to find unless unless they they look at those out of contract, get rid of the ones that wouldn't fit that style or philosophy, and then spend quite heavily across the board to make sure they have a squad that can actually play a bit more expansively. Well, Let's be fair, Zahar can if they don't sell Zahar, Zahar would benefit from that, and also Eze will benefit from that because you know Eze is a fantastic young player as well. Jordan Ayew maybe as well. Uh, potentially benefits from that. Uh, likes good with the ball on the on the floor. Maybe Batshuayi if he if he stays any longer. I, I know he's not got a lot of love at Crystal Palace this season, but again, someone who'd probably suit the ball on the floor a little bit more. But there's so yeah, much absolutely. of that squad not suited to it. It would be a mistake to think that the man a managerial shift and a lack of investment across the board um, wouldn't be need they'd need the investment if they went a different direction and quite a yeah. substantial one. Well, I think they're going to need massive investment either way. Where, yeah. Whether it's to try and tie down these players in, into contracts, which I'm not sure they will. Uh, I mean, even if they don't, if they don't, they're going to have to spend a lot of money anyway. So I think it's going to be an expensive summer for Palace. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, which, which, which? To just to finish this 
uh, topic altogether, that is. It, an expensive summer, but again, does giving Hodgson an extension and just signing a few of those players on an extension, does that give them a bit of a bailout while they get the finances back in check after probably taking a hit at the end of the season because of the pandemic? It's a tough one. I, I'm i still in the camp that you, you try and find something new because I think that the way they're going... Uh, some quick stats they're third lowest in the league and in for xg and the fourth highest for expected goals against that's probable relegation and i think that that is the signs are pointing to going down the way they're going i think they need to steer the ship a different direction who would you go for then just just hypothetically if i i mean if they could get dice which i don't think they could that would be my first choice Hmm. okay but go on then but they can't so but they can't. Oh dear. So, uh, you see, I don't like Eddie Howe as a manager for them either. So, it is tough. No, it is tough. Alan Pardew. He did. He did. Have a t- he had a time there, though, didn't he? Where he, 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 you he know, did. He, he did really well to begin with, and then it fell off a cliff, didn't it? But no, I don't know if I'd go for. That's not. That doesn't sound like Alan Pardew. No, no. Uh, <laughs> I, tell, I tell you, who might be able to contract this summer? Steve Bruce. Might be. No, I'm not I don't know. It's a tough one, but again, it, it's not about remember you can't just jump from one extreme to the other. It'll be an interesting summer for Palace. I personally don't think Hodgson will stay, but we'll have to see what happens there. Anyway, on to a bit of uh analysis from overseas football this uh for this section. And we talked about Italian football last week prominently. This time it's it's Bundesliga and um Again, no surprise to see Bayern at the top, but Leipzig very close behind, actually, because Bayern slipped yeah. up the week before. Um, although this week they were well back on track, uh, Bayern. Uh, 5-1 victory uh, in the league this weekend over Köln, and uh, not my local town, the, the German person. <laughs> I mean, Robert Lewandowski doing what Robert Lewandowski does, scoring a brace, Serge Gnabry scoring a brace as well, and uh, Eric Maxim Chupamoting. Also on the score sheet. Rolling um, back at years. Yeah, I mean, I, when I watched it, I, I, saw, I saw this actually. I saw one of, one of the goals in particular I thought was brilliant. Uh, one of Lewandowski's uh, goals, actually. Uh, the first one, where he backheels the ball to Goretzka. Goretzka then nonchalantly knocks the ball between the defender's legs um, and then threads Lewandowski through. And it's just a simple finish, but it was just such brilliant build-up play between the two. Yeah, I, I actually think... Obviously, Thiago's gone to Liverpool, mixed results thus far. But they were getting rid of a midfielder at the time. Many would call one of the best in the world. Some people still would. And they replaced him actually in-house with Goretzka, who's just took on more of a prominent role this summer. Uh, I mean, this season, he's been phenomenal. Well, he got three assists in either the weekend. And he's just an absolute absolute powerhouse alongside being technically brilliant. It's just... He he has his name has to be in the hat for one of the best midfielders in the world. He's just good at everything. Is there a hat to decide that? Yeah. Where? Oh. Well, I, I do. <laughs> Fair enough. Silence is deafening. Um, so I mean, the, yeah. So yeah. Uh, obviously, Lewandowski being Lewandowski, but you, as we say, Goretzka with the three assists and. Yeah, I mean, you 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 pretty much summed that up perfectly. A uh, really technically sound powerhouse, and almost works really well actually in that double pivot with Kimmich, who is the best defensive midfielder in the world. But having someone next to him who's very very 
strong. I mean, the fact that, that his strength, I mean, his strength in a double pivot, I think it's always good to have somebody who's quite, you know, more, more sizable, physical yeah, definitely. presence. Definitely. And obviously they had Kimmich and Thiago at a point. Both neither, I mean, Kimmich is quite physical, but, you know, neither's really particularly big and, 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 and dominant. But with Goretzky, you've got that. And as a double pivot, I mean, it is easily. I I, I don't think it's even up for debate. As, a, as as far as double pivots go, that is the best in the world. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah, at, at this moment in time, absolutely agree. And you've got again Gnabry, who I think is a very very underrated performer. But you've got Gnabry, Coman, Sané all competing for two spots out wide. Muller is the ten. Um, it's it's. Been not quite as fruitful, I think, for Bayern this season as last because they've had some a few abnormalities in the league. Uh, they lost last weekend in the Bundesliga, for example. But so Armenia. So is that? Well, they're also out of the German Cup, aren't they? But mm-hmm. is that just part and parcel, maybe, of you're at such a big club that's so far ahead of almost anyone, not just domestically but in Europe, that when you sort of play these games week in, week out, there is a tendency to just lose focus because... Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's one of the things they've been so good at over the years, though, is the ability to just consistently churn out these results. And you're going to slip up every now and again. And then we've seen it in the Premier League. We've seen it in every other league. I think it's just mm. natural. And I think they'll still win the league. And that's all yeah. that really matters at the end of the day. Yeah, it? and I mean, one... one Someone was comparing Manchester City and, and Bayern Munich, and the one difference they said is that with Bayern Munich, you had a spine of warrior leaders, and you weren't sure whether City had that. I mean, Neuer, he's a you know he is he's a he's a vocal he's presence, he's Munich, a leader, he? he's Mr. Bayern Munich. Also, Thomas Muller could claim to have that title as well. He's been Mr. there for Mrs. a very Tom. long time, Mr. and Mrs. Bayern Munich. But also Kimmich, who's almost Philip Lahm. Uh, almost embodied Philip Long from right back and in midfield now as well. Yeah. Uh, but also a very passionate performer, a very a very vocal man in the middle of the pitch and at right back whenever he plays as well. Even Boateng, experienced um, World Cup winner, and it's the, the whole squad's littered full of those vocal presences, the winners, the the elite mindset. And that's maybe what stands in the class apart. And just before we move on to other teams in the in, in the tournament, uh, is that what maybe puts them ahead of Man City when it comes to Champions League honours? That almost all of that squad's got that is shrouded with that elite hard man mentality kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think their spine is perhaps the best in Europe still. Mm. I, I think Man City's got a good spine, but I may, they maybe don't have Robert Lewandowski at the top, which is the, the tipping point really for Bayern. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't. I think they they still have to be the favourites for the Champions League, though. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so actually, I mean, as far as Bundesliga goes, they are top. That's no surprise. But well, I suppose what is maybe a bit of surprise is that Leipzig are only two points behind, and they beat two 0 down against Munich Gladbach at the weekend. Came back to win by three goals to two. Uh, late goal, I think, from. Um, but um, but um, but um, but um, but um, uh, do 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 Soloff, the ex- Sorry, yeah, Alexander Soloff scored a header in the, the dying seconds, yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, and actually, someone commented at the time that 
how good would that have been to I mean it's quite boring now if fans were there uh, for that I mean we've had about 25 of those uh, this week alone but um, the yeah it, it was uh, I mean they said they said you know the sign of a, the sign of a title winning team is the ability to come back against all adversity Mönchengladbach very solid team 2-0 up um, you don't necessarily expect Leipzig to come back and this Leipzig team to me on particularly without the goals of Timo Werner I think they're a team that don't like to concede too many goals because yeah. I don't think there's a ridiculous amount of goals like there was last season within the makeup of the team. Um, I mean, you know, conceded the penalty and then scored. I mean, it looked like an own goal. It went down as Tram's goal, but it looked like an own goal. So he was maybe trying to do his new team a favour. Yeah, I mean, well, sure. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm sure he, I'm sure he hopefully uh, won't see it like that. But it is. Yeah, it's they scored forty three goals. Bayern scored sixty seven, uh, and then you know Frankfurt scored forty six. Dortmund scored forty eight. So you know, I mean, again, compared to compared to Bayern, compared to a few other teams, they're not quite up there with the goals. And I do yeah. think Timo Werner's loss has has affected that a lot because he was mm, ridiculously yeah. their highest goal scorer last season. But I think what you've got, I suppose, when you when you look at the the team under uh, Julian Nagelsmann, the setup is um, a tactical excellence because they don't just play three at the back. They sometimes play a four, sometimes play a three, sometimes go with three fours, sometimes go with two, sometimes four, two, three, one. It's very, very fluid all the time. And Yeah, absolutely. I th- and I think that it benefits from having, I mean, I think Poulsen, I've, I've spoke about before, Poulsen's an excellent striker. Uh, he's really good at not only as a target man, but he can get down the wings, he can mm. run the run the channels, and then he's got Nkunku just behind him, who can play an array of different positions and excel in an array of different, different uh, excel in an array of different positions. Was what I was trying to say there, and I think that that's really beneficial for them. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to Bayern Munich, and you sort of you might you might argue that Nagelsmann's a better tactician than um, than uh, Hansi Flick, although Hansi Flick actually should have. For me, for my money, should have won Coach of the Year last year. Oh, but absolutely! Yeah. But 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 you might argue that Nagelsmann has a tactical edge. It might that might be a bit harsh. Uh, what you can't argue with is that the difference of the golfing class between first and second. I mean, all, yeah. I mean, Apamecano is actually going to Bayern in the summer. Um, although there's an argument that is he the only player that gets into Bayern's main eleven from that Leipzig team? Maybe Canate. Probably is. Yeah. Probably is, yeah. Maybe um, Canate. I don't know. Um, it, 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 they are, you know, the, 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 the difference in class is palpable. Um, you know, but you look, you compare Leipzig to Borussia Dortmund and you think Borussia Dortmund have arguably the better 11, particularly in offensive areas. Um, so it shows their remarkable, uh, the remarkable fact, uh, nature of them being in second place at the moment. Um, it's a testament to Nagelsmann, isn't it, as well, that I think. Yeah, no, no, it absolutely is. I mean, Wolfsburg in third, uh, Frankfurt in fourth, Dortmund in fifth, three points off Frankfurt in fourth. Uh, better, better day for them this uh, on Saturday. Three 0 win over yep. Armenia Bielefeld. Um, Jaden Sancho scoring a penalty, getting man of the match. Um, you know, I mean, That's fiftieth assist, youngest, yeah. youngest player to do that in the Bundesliga. Yeah, I mean, everyone talks about Haaland, and 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 I do think Haaland is the is the more attractive of the two talents, but. Yeah, I agree. But Sancho is still a very, very uh, well. He's an excellent player. It seems to have gone under the radar after his failed move. Form collapsed. Still, still wasn't particularly brilliant a few months into the season. Lucien Favre, all, didn't he? But he, he turned it around. I think he's he's really playing well now. Well, Lucien Favre uh, losing his job, and then 
caretaker stepping in. It's been a bit, obviously, Marco Rose is joining in the summer from Gladbach. Uh, so until then, it's a little bit of, well, I, I don't know. I don't know what you do as a football club there, really. You're in, you're in caretaker management, waiting for Marco Rosa to come in the summer. There's a bit of, you're, you're, in, you're sort of in the, nev- the nethers, never zone, to quote Peep Show. <laughs> um, where you where you where you where you sort of stuck between two, uh, you're not really sure where you are. But I suppose on one side, because there's so much uncertainty at Dortmund, all Jadon Sancho, Haaland, and Co can do is really uh, well. There's well, it's uncertainty right now. I mean, there's certainty in the summer. There's not really they're not really any going anywhere now. Their hope is Champions League football for the new manager. Yeah, and all they can do on the field is just keep playing and keep trying to impress. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also good to see that Jude Bellingham. I mean, people yeah. question that move, but it's good to see that he's getting a lot of minutes because a lot of people didn't think he would. He's maybe getting as many minutes at Dortmund as he would at Birmingham. Yeah. No, he, he has. He's, he's, he's played a... Came on as a substitute against Bayern Munich as well earlier in the season, so that was mm-hmm. a, that was a nice little marker for him. And they are, you know... I, I think it's... I think it's sad, really, that, that, that Dortmund have fallen a little bit as they have at this moment in time with... All the uh, array of attacking talents they have, they're going to be in debt at the end of the year quite significantly because they didn't make a significant sale this summer. Um, which which means that Jadon Sancho is probably the first one on the chopping block, and they'll hope to keep Haaland. Um, but you know, three points off fourth. The I mean, or good start in the Champions League well, again, away at, at Sevilla. Um, mm-hmm. Are they? You would imagine, even though they lack the the stability of having the permanent manager Rosa in now, you would imagine that the individuals they have should be able to get fourth place in the Bundesliga. But at the same time, even though people like to patronise the division, it is quite a competitive division with lots of talent. Oh, it's very competitive, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. People question the defending, I think, more than anything, which is fair, especially for Dortmund at the minute. But yeah, Mm. I I think they'll have enough in their locker to get Champions League. And I think they'll set up Rosa nicely. Yeah, hopefully. Well, that's a nice uh, analysis of that, really. And uh, yeah, I mean, that sort of covers all avenues to a point. Also, as I say, a big, uh, just touch on a big win for Stuttgart, actually. And now, now I was just going to mention this before we do go off. A uh, big win for Stuttgart over Schalke, 5-1. I mean, um, Schalke's situation is ridiculous. They're bottom of the league. It's crazy, isn't it? The, the two of the players don't like the manager. They want him sacked. Two of the players who've complained Two of the players that's come in January, Mustafi and Kolasinac, who complained that uh, yeah. the manager's tactics aren't very good. They, they're worried that he's mispronouncing the names of players. I mean, <laughs> it's it, it's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? And Schalke, a, a club that have been in the Bundesliga for, you know, a, a stalwart of, of Bundesliga folklore, and they are, they're on the brink of, of, of the second tier. And yeah. their yes. club is an absolute mess. And they, as I said, two of the loadies they've brought in to help the club are complaining that the club's in a mess. Yeah, I, I think that they just, I think that it's inevitable that they're going, going to go down. I think they just need to get it over and done with and start again, start from a clean slate. Need to get rid of some of these players. They'll probably lose some of their more talented players. I mean, Kabak's likely to go to Liverpool, I think. Yeah. It's, yeah, they, they need to just go again. <laughs> yeah, it's not been good for them. Anyway, that's a, that's a, the roundup of that. Uh, yeah. Again, for other things, be sure to check out all good. Uh, Results retailers, if they do exist, um, do check Transfer News Central for transfer rumour tweets and TNC Football for football-related tweets that uh, someone puts up. Uh, be sure to check out Big Heads Media for uh, all good podcasts, 
sport, non-sport, maybe even debt podcasts. Uh, we'll have to <laughs> wait and see. Pro- probably not. That's probably a different project for me. But uh, yeah, be sure to join us next week where we'll bring you more insight in around 15 minutes per topic. So uh, stay safe, take care, and we'll see you next time.